Since 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly one million businesses. Stamps.com brings you the services of the U.S. Postal Service and the UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're an office sending invoices, a side hustle Etsy shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make it easy for you and easier for your life. All you need is a computer and a standard printer. No special supplies or equipment are needed. Within minutes, you're up and running. Printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send. And you'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from the UPS and USPS. Once your mail is ready to schedule a pickup or drop it off, no traffic, no lines. Cut out the confusion of shipping. With Stamps.com, new rate advisor, you can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. Save time and money with Stamps.com. There is no risk. And with the promo code POD, that is P-O-D, you get a special offer that is including four weeks of a free trial plus free postage on a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in POD. That's Stamps.com, promo code POD. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Podcast. To the two-man power trip of wrestling, I'm your host JP John Paz. With me today is a very, very special guest: former NWA National Heavyweight Champion, former NWA U.S. Champion, six-man champion, two-time NWA Tag Team Champion. He's been a TV champion in the NWA and the UWF. 1987 Crockett Cup winner. He's of course the Russian Nightmare himself, Nikita Koloff. Mr. Koloff, welcome to the two-man power trip. How you doing? John, it is great to be with you. Thank you for having me on the two-man power trip. I love it. Yes. So what's been going on in your world? What's going on lately? I know you obviously got the ministry going on and, and man camp. Uh, I, I do. Lex Luger and I co-facilitate uh, th- this camp for men called Man Camp, where we, you know, we bring men in for a handful of days to, uh, like we like to say, teach, train, equip, empower, and then deploy them back home to you know, just to be healthier in every aspect of their life, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically, of course, spiritually, 
uh, better husbands, better fathers. So all, all of your lady viewers out there might have an interest in that or your, your, your female audience. And, uh, you know, the conferences, uh, I'm getting ready to, to head off to uh, Ohio and Michigan and Kentucky and Delaware and, and do a, do a one day conference called the man up conference. And of course, um, got my own podcast called the man up podcast and, and radio show and soon to launch a television version of the radio show, the man up show. And so just a lot going on, John, I'm excited though. A lot going on. Very cool. How did the man camp like start? Obviously it's you and Lex, but how did that all get to, to fruition? Well, it's a great question. He and I, uh, he lived with me for about 10 months in, in 2015. And it was during that time together that we just felt like uh, the Lord gave us this vision to, to uh, put this conference, the one day conference, and then the five day camp together. And, and again, just because of really because of our backgrounds. So when we, when I talk about being healthy in all these different areas, you know, obviously you look at his physique, you know, back in the day, uh, as well as my own, um, you know, we, we combined, we have a lot of years of experience in the gym, health and wellness and nutrition. And so, you know, that was an easy one to, 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 you know, to be able to give people that information, give guys that information. Um, if I think about, you know, our, our, our journey, uh, our journey outside of wrestling, you know, 1993, I surrendered my life to the Lord and 28 years. I've been on that path of pursuing that relationship for him. April 23rd, 2006, uh, he surrendered his life to the Lord. So he's been on, on that path for 15 plus years now. And so, you know, we just combine all of our experience. And, and when, when the Lord gave us that vision, we just, we stepped out in, in faith and put it together. And so, you know, bring those local, bring those conferences into local communities. Uh, and then the, the camp, we just kind of bring everybody together uh, in a little town called Royston, Georgia. we got a hundred acre piece of property that we rent down there. And it's, it's, it's amazing. Oh, sounds cool. Sounds like a good time. It, it, it really is. I mean, we, we have had tons of stories of guys returning home and, and, and John, just how it has impacted their marriage uh, impacted them as a, as a dad, you know, uh, in many cases it has brought restoration of relationships between a father and a son, a father and a daughter, and, and just a lot of healing. And so lot, lot of great stories. And so we're, he and I are just inspired and encouraged, you know, to keep doing what we're doing. When you guys first met, I mean, obviously back in NWA days, were you always friends with Lex? Were you guys like always had a good relationship or no? Not really. In fact, uh, if people, you know, I know we'll give in the show notes, you'll give uh, some links to where people can learn more, whether it's about Man Camp, my podcast and books I've written yep. and everything else. Um, but there's a there's a video, there's an interview that, that about a maybe a two minute interview. And, and he was. He had made reference to back in those days, you know, we were, we were wrestling peers. We were at a, on a professional level, not so much on a personal level, uh, respected each other, of course. Um, and, and he would say more than anything, you know, we, we were just work, work coworkers. We were co-laborers in the wrestling world. And, 
you know, my introduction to him was, you know, uh, dropping the U.S. heavyweight title to him in a cage in Greensboro, North Carolina. That was my introduction. We go on to have a lot more matches uh, uh, against against each other and uh, throughout the career. And then really, when I left wrestling in 1993, uh, I didn't see him for nearly right around 11 years, right around 11 years. So he went he went one way. I went the other way. You know, uh, I went down this path, you know, get engaged in essentially full time ministry. He continued on with his with his uh, amazing wrestling career, and then in in June of two thousand and six, about two months uh, after a, a jail chaplain, after his last time in jail. I mean, if you don't know Lex's full story, you're out there and you want to know more. Go go pick a cop pick up a copy of his book Wrestling with the Devil. You'll hear his whole life story. Um, and through that decision in April of, two, of 20, uh, 2006, we were reconnected at an athletes, a Christian athletes conference in Phoenix. And from that moment on, in June of 2006, we built a relationship, a friendship, uh, a, a brotherhood, if you will, that that has lasted till this day. Yeah, because I've you know you always hear stories about Lex back then, like oh he didn't get along with this guy or that guy. So it's just funny to see like he's completely different as far as everybody says, like oh he's so much different than he was back in the day. You know he's very focused on himself back then, and, and back when you guys were feuding, even. It, it right, and what I like to say it this way, John, he is he is evidence of a changed life, and so anyone who has had a true encounter. In my experience, anyone who's had a true encounter with Jesus, um, you're going to see that evidence of a changed life. Yeah, he'll be the first to tell you back then it was really his world. You were just living in it. Um, he, he had what he called flex time. You were on his time. You were on flex time. And, and you know, I'm probably one of the few who actually did like him back in those days. <laughs> believe, believe it or not. Um you know, we we did travel some together, not a whole lot, but there were a few trips we took together to towns, and and so began to build a foundation on on the relationship we have now. But uh, yeah, for the most part, you know, when he portrayed what was it, the narcissist up in the WWF? Yep. I mean that was that was not far from the truth. So what what you saw in that right. character, in a sense, was kind of him, you know, outside the ring. And so, yeah, you meet him now. Anyone who knew him then and you meet him now, there's no way you can't walk away going, he's a different guy. He is not the same man. With you in wrestling, just like to kind of just break it down, when you broke in, who was the trainer? Was it Eddie Sharkey? Is that how you broke into the business? Everyone thinks it's Eddie Sharkey, I guess, because he trained everybody else. Right. You know, by everybody else, meaning Rick Rude, Kurt Hanley, Road Warriors, uh, Scott Norton, I guess, and so many others. So I think many just assume he trained me. Right. That's the unique part about my story, John, is I was a, a weightlifter, a bodybuilder, a football player. And my dream, my goal was to play professional football. And so upon graduating college, I was on that path of, of playing pro football when I got recruited into wrestling through a phone call from Road Warrior Animal. 
who, by the way, I recruited out of New Brighton, Minnesota, Irondale High School to play college football with me. That's where we first met in college. And, and then he recruited me into wrestling. And so he gave me a phone number for a guy named Jim Crockett Jr., the promoter for the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Organization. I had a five-minute phone call with Jim Crockett, and I made sure before I drove to a city I'd never been called Charlotte, North Carolina, he knew that I had no amateur wrestling background. I had zero professional training. I had never been in a ring. And he said he heard that. He was okay with that. So, John, I showed up the day he said to be there. Five-minute conversation, no other communication uh, between then and the day I showed up. He took a look at me the day I walked into that office, and he saw a guy who was 285 pounds, 8% body fat, 34-inch waist. Nikita Koloff's born in the hallways of Charlotte that day. They literally put me right on the interview set. They introduced me to Ivan Goloff and Don Cronodal. They were the NWA World Tag Team Champions. I didn't know. I'd never heard of them in, in my life. I didn't know. I have a clue who they were. All of a sudden, I became Ivan's nephew. I'm on this interview set. We finish interviews for the day, and he says, be in Raleigh, North Carolina tomorrow night in the Dorton Arena. You're going to wrestle on television, having never been in the ring. That's the unique part of my story. Pretty crazy. Obviously, he saw something in you immediately, like, wow, this guy looks like a star. He's a monster. He's on TV automatically. I mean, that never happens, ever. It, it doesn't, does it? I mean, like, for real, to my knowledge, I mean, we tried to do some research on that. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe the closest one that maybe kind of comes to that story close to that story is is uh magnum ta uh has a, a similar story not not quite the same but similar uh and actually lex luger did go to to uh hero matsuda's training camp but with, it was only within a few months that they debuted him but yet he still had a training camp um but yeah it, it's it, that just it just doesn't happen and uh so, yeah, he, Crockett took a chance on me. I mean, I still had to make it happen, but fortunately, uh, I, I did. And that first match, by the way, on television, <laughs> I think he was smart enough to keep it short. So it was like 11 seconds, right? <laughs> um, but then it was a meteoric career from there. Yeah, think about that. Talk about learning on the job. I mean, that is really learning on the job. You never even were in the ring before. I mean, that's crazy. That That's like really like, okay, I see something this guy – I don't want him going anywhere else. Like he's going in the ring tomorrow. I mean, that's crazy, crazy story. It, it is. And and that night in Raleigh, like they showed me how to lock up in the dressing room and a couple basic moves. And, and I went out and, and was able to, to capitalize on that. Now I will say for the, you know, you said on the job training. So Don and Ivan and I, for about the next couple, three months, we would get to the towns two, three hours early and they would bump and thump all over the ring for me, teaching me the mechanics of wrestling. And then every night on the drive home, we talk about that old school psychology of wrestling. I'd sit in their corner every night and watch their world tag match. Ivan, Uncle Ivan, <laughs> Uncle <laughs> Ivan would sit in my corner and then we'd just discuss psychology. And that's how I learned. Wow, amazing. And obviously you weren't familiar with the business too much, but obviously Ivan Cole, a former WWF world champion, defeated the legendary Bruno San Martino. So, I mean, he knows a thing or two about teaching you psychology and teaching you wrestling. He did. Him and Don both. Of course, Don was 
partnered up for a while with Sergeant Slaughter as Private Kernodal. And both those guys, Ivan at that point had had, uh, I want to say, 20 or so years of, of experience behind under his belt. And Kernodal about 10, 12 years, maybe more. Uh, so both of those guys. And then I was fortunate, John, in, the, in that first year to step in the ring with guys who, in the Mid-Atlantic anyway, were, were pretty legendary. But even outside of the, the Mid-Atlantic, I mean, guys like Dory Funk Jr., I mean, he was the NWA world champion. I got to wrestle him numerous times early in my career. Um, Johnny Weaver, uh, Rufus R. Freight Train Jones, Black Jack Mulligan, uh, eventually Dusty Rhodes, uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky and Robert. I mean, I, I got to step in the ring that first year with some pretty seasoned guys that only helped accelerate my career with you starting out where you were who creates the name nikita koloff and who creates the russian nightmare is that dusty or is that you maybe collaborating so so don Cronodo and sergeant slaughter came up with the original idea of a nephew for ivan uh in their mind they they felt like um you know part of the story was don you know don was an american turncoat teamed up with Ivan, became the NWA champions, tag team champions, and then they'd bring a nephew in. And, and Don, Don and Sarge rolled out this whole storyline. I mean, I credit those two guys. Nikita Koloff never would have been born if it hadn't been for those two guys. And then part of the story was eventually nephew and uncle turn on the American. Sergeant Slaughter comes in to, to Don's rescue, and, and we have a – we run a two-year program for belts and flags and all kinds of stuff, right? Um, the only hiccup in that plan was Sarge decided to stay uh, up in New York with the WWF at the time. And so we still did the angle. It just Don had different partners. And then eventually, uh, uh, well, and, and that to say, in that hallway that morning when I met Don and Ivan, Jim Crockett said, okay, he needs a name. Now, we knew it was going to be Koloff, right? Because I'm a nephew. Yep. But he gave me Nikita and, and one other name that to, to this day, I, I don't even remember what it was. Because just the minute I heard Nikita Koloff, Nikita Koloff. Now, I remember my history lessons in school about Nikita Khrushchev, right? The, the leader of the Soviet Union. And I just thought, John, to, my name, I, to myself, I thought, Nikita Koloff. That, that name's got a pretty good ring to it sounds sounds good and so that's how the name came about the russian nightmare how that came about was dusty and i started working an angle against each other and and i cut a promo basically or i basically said you know you you, you know, you're the american dream well i'm gonna be your worst nightmare and, and out of that came the russian nightmare in, in teaming up with the russian bear ivan Kola. Makes perfect sense. The American Dream, the Russian Nightmare, perfect, uh, perfect foil for for Dusty. Exactly right. With you coming along, like okay, you don't have as much experience, but you have a great look, and you're going to be teaming with Ivan. And you know, the Russians obviously is, is very uh, hot topic or hot topic at that point politically and everything else. What yeah. did you think about playing a Russian? And being that character, because that's like instant heat. The crowd immediately hates you and you're new to the business. So what do you think about that? Because you're going to change your accent. I mean, you're going to do all these things and really play the character to the nth degree. 
Yeah, it, it was interesting. I mean, I, I didn't know it at the time. I'm because I didn't go to acting school. I didn't do it. I was an athlete. I didn't do any of that. Right. And and so, but there's a, there's a terminology or a term that I later learned of what I did without even knowing what I was doing. And it's called method acting. And so in my mind, John, I just literally projected myself into that role and thought, okay, if I really was from Russia, how would I act? And eventually when I start speaking English <laughs> and I start talking, uh, right. how would certain words sound? And, and I mean, I, I did take it to the nth degree. I legally changed my name. I got a Russian workbook and learned to sign Nikita Koloff in Russian. I, I learned a few words. I put a few bogus phrases together that sounded Russian, right? And for six months, I didn't speak any English like this anywhere in public at all. And then once I started speaking... It was very broken and, and like I was just learning, right? So I just did all that just really kind of on my own. Jim Crockett didn't even ask me to do that. I just did that. And then I carried that persona, something that's crazy too. And I look back because I was old school trained. I was trained to protect the business at all costs, right? The terminology is kayfabe, right? Kayfabe yep. business. Yep. And even post-retirement, I maintained the persona anywhere in public for three more years post-career. Wow. Dedicated, right? I mean, keeping the kayfabe alive and really dedicated to your craft. Yes, sir. And you were so believable as a Russian. You were kind of thought of to play uh, Ivan Drago, right, in the Rocky movie? Weren't you kind of up for that? I, I, I was, and, and actually just... I just thought about you. You did ask me too about, you know, my thought of during the cold war era of, oh, of, yeah. port of portraying that Russian, I, I apologize. I'm like, Oh, I forgot to really address that. Um, because I just projected myself in, I, I wasn't, I really honestly didn't have any concerns about that. Even in the midst of, of the, you know, there, there would be an occasional uh, phone call to the Crockett office. You know, if the Koloffs come to Charleston, we're going to kill them. You know, I mean, like right. for real, like, yeah, I mean, damn. six different times, six different times I had fans jump the barricade and come after me in, in the ring. In fact, only one fan got his hands on me. And that was the very first time. Cause I, I wasn't expecting it. I, I didn't think about it. Right. I thought we had security and, and, and your, your audience can actually go watch that. It's called the great American bash. 1985 world heavyweight title against rick flair and you'll actually see a fan get his hands on me now i didn't let that happen after that but that happened um and, and so it, it was intense and you're right people people did hate me for that night in, in in the dorton arena when i went out they didn't know me from adam but because i was with ivan and Do i mean they hated me from day one and because of how i i carried the persona they continue to hate me more and more and more. I like to say they loved to hate me. Um, and at one point became the, the number one most most hated guy in wrestling. Um, and, and so, you know, to, to have that experience was was uh, really pretty amazing. I, I want to make sure and, and, and address that uh, as well. Um, and, and so, but but yeah, you you know, the, the, the career at large, uh, um, you know, and, and let me just say this too, to have that experience on both sides. And I know eventually you may get to, you know, the turn and, 
and and what that experience was like. But I'm I'm thankful. I'm grateful to have that opportunity to be on both sides, experience both sides. It is crazy to think like nowadays they would never do something like that. But back then it's like, yes, the Cold War is going on. We're really going to create characters to have so many people have that emotional investment of like hatred. And, you know, they want to go to the show because they want to see you lose. I mean, it's completely different. They would never do that stuff like nowadays. They're completely they don't want to get into politics and and all that and like nuclear heat and stuff like that. Well, yeah, it's a different era. In fact, in fact, I think, you know, I think uh, McMahon's, you know, you know, I think they've tried a, a, some of that and, 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 and like you said, got a lot of heat for it, you know, like, like, oh, that's it. You know, you're, you're not being PC, like you said, right. You're, you're yeah. not being politically correct. You can't do that. I mean, there's so many things we did back in those days that in today's climate, in today's culture would be so taboo, man. Be like, uh-uh, you can't do that, you know? But but just a different era, man. That's why the fans tell me, you know, I still do Comic-Cons and Legends autograph signings and those sorts of things. And the fans will tell me, they go, man, that was the golden era of wrestling. I, I wish it would be like that again. But I, I don't foresee it ever being like that again. No, definitely not. So just to go back to it, were you supposed to be Ivan Drago at, at any point? Because oh, you're playing I'm, this convincing I'm, Russian. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm hey, no problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so the story, the backstory on that is um Terry Funk, who had had I think he was in Paradise Alley, and he had he become friends with Sylvester Stallone. And and uh I think uh, Sly reached out to him and, and said, Hey, I'm doing another Rocky movie and I got a Russian character. Do you know any Russians? Of course, Terry had, had knew that Don and Ivan, you know, and, and, and I will say this too, like even uh, Barry Darso, who eventually came in and played Crusher Khrushchev and went on to New York as uh, uh demolition smash. Um, you know, he, when he came in, he's like, man, we heard down in Louisiana, down in there, you know, the mid, mid South Bill Watts, you know, in, in other parts of the country that there was this shoot Russian in, 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 in the Carolinas. He goes, I should have known it was you. Oh my gosh. Right. So even the, the boys thought like, like, Oh, they got a, they really got a Russian guy there, you know? Um, and so Terry Funk had heard that. And so he reached out to Don and he said, you know, Hey, uh, Stallone's looking for, uh, you know, someone to, to fill this, this role in, in Rocky four, Ivan Drago. And so uh, long and short of that is, they sent me this script. I memorized the lines. They they flew me out to Hollywood for the screen test. Uh, it was me, Carrie Von Eric, and and uh, and Dolph Lundgren. We were the, uh, out of like I think I want to say like I don't know hundreds, uh, eight nine hundred thousand uh, guys. They looked at it came down to the between the three of us. Well, I uh, I knew my odds went up by you know from thirty three percent to fifty percent when when Carrie when Carrie the day I got there we were all there together. But he goes. Hey, are there some lines we're like supposed to know for this? I'm like, Gary, are you kidding me? Like they flew <laughs> all the way out here to screen test. So I'm like, well, that just increased my odds. So it really, I feel like came down between Dolph Lundgren and myself on the set with Stallone screen testing for that. And, and the reason I didn't get the role, remember 285 pounds, 8% body fat, right? Yep. Stallone, uh, legit back then was, you know, he's only five foot six. Now he looks bigger in life on on the silver screen, right? Yep. But he's only five foot six. He, he was about a buck sixty back then, one hundred sixty pounds. 
And they later called the director, called me a couple, three weeks later and goes, even for Hollywood, the side, your side, man, you, you, your delivery of the lines were the best of any, um, but your size difference, it's just, it's just, uh, even for Hollywood, it's just too unbelievable that Rocky at age 35 is going to beat a guy that looks like you, even right. for Hollywood. And so that's why I didn't get the role. But a little side note that's interesting, right? And I found this out from a wrestling fan. So I love the fans, man. They they find out everything. I didn't know. Uh, obviously, Ivan Drago, right? So they used the name Ivan for the character. And then I found out his manager in the movie, his manager was named uh, Nikita. Oh, I did not realize that. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Uh, uh, or or Koloff. I, I actually I think it was Koloff. So he used the first name in the one character is Nikolai Koloff. That's what it was. Nikolai Koloff. And I'm like, for real? Like, really? You're gonna you're gonna use our names? And, and, and but anyway, but I was just honored to even have a have a shot at it. It was a great experience, and uh, and and loved the movie. And Stallone is a big wrestling fan. Huge. And and his mom, you know, she for years she was involved in that whole globe, you know, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Wow, I didn't realize that. Yeah, big supporter. I think a big financial supporter in that too. Oh, very cool. So I think uh, the uh, big part of your career is the best of seven series for the U.S. title, the few with Magnum T.A. Just talk to us about like the, the gravity of kind of not that really putting you on the map, but I mean, that elevated you to another level because he was a huge star in the making. You're a huge star in the making. It's like something's got to give here. They got to have the best of seven to see which one of these two young guns can be the best. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was being groomed to be the next Ric Flair. In fact, he was only like three days away from flying to New York and, and inking a deal uh, for the world heavyweight title uh, before his accident. He was only three days away from right. that happening. And they'd already made that decision that they're going to put the put the strap around his waist. Um, but that angle, it is by far the most talked about of my career. Now, there, you know, we talk about other things, the war games, the, the matches against Ric Flair, the world title matches. Uh, you know, unification of the TV belts and et cetera, Sting, Sting Squadron, you know, and all that. Um, but by far the best of seven. And, and a, a brainchild uh, of the the ingenious Death Road, the Tower of Power, too sweet to be Tower, if you will. Yeah, baby. Um, <laughs> Dusty was so creative. One of the most creative guys that I have ever met. That was his idea, the best of seven. I, to my knowledge, to our knowledge, it's never, it was never done prior to that. Um, obviously, he got kind of the idea from the, the World Series, right? Um, yep. Best of seven in the World Series. And, and, then to, and then to project it the way we did, right? I mean, Magnum looked like, like you said, the all-American good guy. I mean, you know, just, just baby face. I mean, the face uh, fans could fall in love with. And... Uh, and so, and then our personalities and, and our personas matched up, I feel, really, really well. Our chemistry, our style of work, and fans have told me, like, they'd be literally, they were at the arena in some of those matches and said, you know, they walk out going, I don't know about any of those other matches, but that match against Nikita Magnum was real. I mean, but that was our goal. Our goal was 
project that realism and and draw and draw the fan in. Of course, you know, all these years later, the fans still love to talk about it, and uh, definitely, definitely uh, one of the highlights of my career. It's one of those things where you watch those matches, like these guys are working a little snug. You know what I mean? You guys are definitely uh, hitting each other. Perfect word. Perfect word. Because <laughs> I'm going, God, you guys were really stiff. Or you, yeah, I'm like, um, I prefer the word snug. We worked out. <laughs> but he and I were in agreement on that. That's where our styles are very similar. And I was okay with that. And he was okay with that. I'm like, Terry, let's, let's get this thing across, man. Let's make people believe. You know, we hate each other, and 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 the last thing you want is for that United States. People didn't care about a Russian being a world champion, but for a Russian to wear the United States belt, you know, right. no, yeah. no, no, you know. Yeah, that's that's you can't, you know, that's sacred. You can't you can't that's right, that's champion. right. Yeah, can't let that happen. But uh, the way we did it, I mean, three, th- one, nothing, two, nothing, three, nothing, three, one, three, two, three, three, come down that seventh and final match, man. And and, and uh, a little side note on that and, and unplanned and, you know, TV production wasn't as state of the art as, as it is now. Right. And because our matches were were mostly spontaneous. And what I mean by that is, you know, t- today's product is different. Right. Everyone's handed a script and all that. Not not in our world not in our day, not interviews or anything else. Um, there's a there's a shot in there where the cameraman just happened to be at the right place at the right time. And that's where I, where I hit Megan with the chain and I throw it off into the corner and it's like basically slithers out of the ring like a snake right, right in front of the can. It couldn't have been more perfect so that the referee, you know, could, couldn't see it and didn't know what happened. Love it. Now, as far as the accident, when that happens, it's that just like completely shake up, you know, not only the whole roster, but you yourself, where you're like, oh, my God, like, this is crazy. This guy's about to be the NWA world champion. We're about to go to Starcade. He's about to be Ric Flair. He's going to be the next guy. Like, what's going through your mind as, as you know, the whole NWA almost crumbles down right in the, right before your very eyes? Yeah, I, I, I how I how I first found out about it was in Philadelphia. It was in the Philly Philly uh, Philly Civic Center, and Jimmy and Dusty pulled me up in, into a, a, pri- a room privately, and um, I just got back from a tour in Japan. So you know, in the, again, in those days, you know, communication then wasn't like it is now. So I didn't know. I I, I had not heard. I, I I didn't have a clue. And uh, so when they shared that with me, truthfully, it took them a few minutes to convince because. Wrestling's a work, right? I'm like, you guys are working me. I'm Magnum's fine. And they're like, no, no, he's like in the hospital fighting for his life right now. Um, might be a, a quadriplegic the rest of his life. I'm like, so once they convinced me, I was like, wow. I mean, he, you know, you kind of, yeah, you, you get taken aback for a moment there. And we weren't the best of friends at that point. I mean, we were, again, more like like Luger, more, you know, working peers, uh, co-workers. Um liked each other but we didn't hang out with each other and uh so once that settled in i'm like okay then they shared with me confidentially the idea of of flipping and becoming dusty's partner coming to his rescue in that that cage match in charlotte and uh and creating the superpowers and they left that decision completely up to me again because i, I don't know that there had been a uh a Russian good guy prior to that, right? Um, Might've been, I, I just don't know. But 
uh, I thought, well, between Jimmy and Dusty, I mean, they probably have a, close to 100 years of experience in the wrestling world. They know more than I do. And so, I, I honestly, I just kind of trusted their judgment and, and went with it. And somebody did ask Dusty years later, did you know when you made that decision and did that, it would get over like it did? And he goes, we had, we had no clue. We knew it was a roll of the dice. We, we, knew, we had no clue whether it would or it wouldn't. Man, the electricity and the energy. If you just close your eyes and listen to that crowd when you come out, when uh, Ole and JJ are in the cage and Dusty's coming out, I mean, that they, they pop is huge. It's one of those things where Dusty's probably like, well, with a roll of dice, I guess I got snake eyes. Or, you know, <laughs> like, I guess I nailed this one because, man, that crowd was nuts. And you guys just destroy, obviously destroy Ole and JJ, which is great. But the crowd is awesome for it. Yeah, I, I like to say we got double sixes. How about that? Even better. We yeah. Got- yeah, there you go. <laughs> we got double sixes, and, and um, I did verify this recently that that actually Tony Schiavone was was asked at some point in all of his wrestling career as an announcer what was the biggest pop in wrestling he has ever heard, and he's on record as saying the night Nikita Koloff turned, and because and which I take as a just a huge compliment. I mean, let's face it. Tony Schiavone's announced some pretty big matches. Oh, yeah. And, and he's had some pretty large, you know, pretty big opportunities in the world of wrestling and big shows to be a part of. So I'm very humbled at the at the, at the thought of, of Tony uh, acknowledging that that was the, the biggest pop for his career in wrestling. And, yeah, you're right. And, and again, uh, John, it goes back to – that era of wrestling, like if you even just watch fan reaction, not just that night, but in other other matches, it's more organic, right? It's the fans are much more engaged. Not that they're not engaged now, but everyone knows it's it's scripted, right? So, but in those days, there was still an element of surprise, and you didn't know for sure what was going to happen, and so that made fan reaction way more organic. Man, it was crazy. What a pop. Were you nervous at all? Like, wow, I'm, I was this vicious Russian heel. Now I'm going to be a babyface. I don't know if this is going to work, Dusty. I know you kind of had faith and trust, but were you a little nervous before you head out there? Like, I don't know. Well, I guess, I suppose, yeah, I suppose perhaps a, a little bit, similar to that night in Dorton Arena, when I'm going to in front of a sold-out crowd, and I'm going to be on television. And so similar, I suppose, a similar type feeling. Um, but I will say, for the record, prior to that, I actually had an experience as a babyface, as a good guy, over in Kuwait in the Middle East. Oh, okay. And and, and not by not by uh, design, but by but by fault. And what I mean by that is I went over to Kuwait and, and I was uh, scheduled, actually booked against Sergeant Slaughter. And, and I went out and the fans cheered me. He came out and the fans booed him for whatever reason, right. In, in, in the middle East. And I got the ring and I'm like, Sarge, I, I don't know how to be a good guy. I, like, I have, I have no clue. I'm like, all I knew is to like pound guys and hang guys with chains and, whatever right and and sarge is so cool man right so 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 uh, skilled and 
and, and experienced. And he's like, kid, kid, just follow my lead, kid. You'll be fine. Follow my lead. So I did have a taste of it um, over in Kuwait, but still never envisioned it would explode and become what it did. So Starcade 1986, you're in the main event against the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, for the NWA World Heavyweight title. Pressure here? I mean, you're taking, obviously, Magnum spot. You might be christened the next, you know, top babyface. What's the pressure like here? Because you and Flair are going to have a great match, but it's really kind of a huge, absolutely monstrous main event. I mean, Nature Boy, Ric Flair, one of the greatest of all times, and it's Starcade. Yeah, yep. And, uh, yeah, they're the granddaddy of them all, right? So, yep. Fast forward or, or, or backtrack a year and a half earlier, and of course I'm, I'm wrestling for the very first time at the very first Great American Bash, and again an, another brainchild of, of Dusty Rhodes, the Great American Bash, and, and as 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 a heel, right? As as the the baddest of the bad. Fast forward a year and a half later, now I'm wrestling him on the other side of the tracks as as a babyface, as a good guy, and and I had already at that point had dozens and dozens and dozens of matches against him sometimes uh, a, a one-hour draw i mean there's there have been numerous times i'd wrestled rick for an hour and i am on record as saying rick is the consummate professional he can make a broomstick look good he made nikita koloff look good <laughs> and, and so I, I wouldn't say i was so much uh, as nervous going into that one at starcade um, as I was going into that first one at the Great American Bash. Uh, but that would just lead, that match in Starcade would lead to a number of other matches, return matches against him, and 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 even some victories uh, through disqualification. But, of course, title can't change hands on a DQ. Yeah. Um, so uh, I did hold that world heavyweight title uh, a number of times. And, John, just for the record, there were two opportunities that Rick actually offered me the world heavyweight title. And I'm probably one of a, I don't know how many might qualify for this, but I'm one, I'm one, at least one guy who turned the world title belt down. Whoa. Why is that? It was, it was more, I'd say more of a timing thing. And for those who don't know that part of the story, I mean, that's where you might want to get, but uh, you know, just updated my, my latest book, Nikita, a tale of the ring and redemption where I go into so much more of my story. Um, and, and, you know, I had a wife die of cancer, Mandy. Uh, I had actually left wrestling at one point in, in the, in the midst of my main event career, walked away to a, a sabbatical, if you will, to take care of her. She was diagnosed with cancer at age 24. Um, it went into remission and, and then came back back with a vengeance and when it came back that's when I stepped away to take care of her and and just uh you know nurture her through that she would pass away at the age of 26 oh. and it was actually just uh, just a few weeks after her passing that he invited me down to his house in Charlotte we had lunch by the pool side there that he offered me the world heavyweight title um and and it just didn't it just didn't feel right. And then I'd say maybe a few weeks later, maybe a couple months later, I, I can't remember the exact time frame. Invited me down again, offered it to me a second time, and um, and I, I turned it down again. And and looking back, no regrets in in doing that. And I'd established my character where I didn't feel I necessarily needed a belt to be over. 
That is true. I always was curious, like, wow, I wonder why Nikita never won the world title because it seemed like it was trending in that direction. Obviously, you mentioned it, it could have happened a few times. Yep. Yep. So also you mentioned Great American Bash. They also you you know you continue the feud with the superpowers and really with the Road Warriors and they create war games and you were part of that. Man, I always hear stories from Arn and Tully and JJ. I mean, they're always talking about injuries. <laughs> and that those matches look brutal, but they really are brutal. What are your memories of the War Games matches? Yeah, again, once again, another brainchild of Dusty Rhodes, to his credit. Yep. Um, the first one, I, I like, so I say it this way. I mean, often imitated, never duplicated, right? I mean, they, they you know, they tried to rehash and bring other things around, you know, in, in modern day time. But there's still nothing like the original. I don't feel anyway. Um and that very first one, I know we did a series of them. We traveled and took them on a tour, bash tour, and 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 then later Sting Squadron, you know, teamed up on on uh, with a great team there, the Stinger and I, who Barry Windham, Dustin, I think Ricky Steamboat. I mean, great team against yep. Steve Austin and and uh, I think Rude. And so, um, but but the, that that very first one is the most memorable. The match beyond. And nobody knew what, what to anticipate. Nobody knew what to expect. But the electricity in the arena that night, the anticipation, the electricity, the response from the fans, and the way we illustrated that story, um, it was so much fun uh, to, uh, to, to be a part of. And, of course, the formulation of the superpowers that combined that with the Road Warriors with precious Paul Ellering. Four Horsemen with J.J. Dillon. You couldn't climb into a ring, whether it was a War Games, an eight-man match, eight-man tag, six-man tag team, single match against any one of those guys or all of those guys and not, I feel, not have a great match. I mean, from double-A Arn Anderson to Tully Blanchard, who I just just recently interviewed for my own podcast, um, you, you couldn't. You couldn't have a bet. I mean, you're just going to have a great match. Rick, you know, Lex, any of them or any combination of them. And so certainly the war games brings back some, some great memories. And you, you made reference of injuries. What, what I hope by now um, your audience understands and, and those who are wrestling fans, it is entertainment. I mean, that's clearly we, we all know that now, right? It is entertainment. But to understand that there, there are real injuries. I mean, you're bumping and thumping all over the ring. You're, you know, three, four. You know, my last match was against Vader, right? Big Van Vader. 450 pounds, legit. And he injured my neck in my very last match. It was not career-ending. But he, nevertheless, he, he, it, it did get injured. And, and I didn't know till the next day, but I, I got, I had a hernia, you know, picking up body slamming him. Right. Big yep. guy. So I had hernia surgery. I was rehabilitating my neck. Um, and it was over that Thanksgiving, Christmas, new year's time that, that I made an executive decision under my own terms to walk away from wrestling. We can talk more about that if you want. But, um, my point is injuries in wrestling are, are very real. It's not an exact science. So timing only has to be off. I mean, you got a 400-pound guy coming off the top rope on you or your body slammed on, on the co uh, concrete floor night after night after night, running into steel poles, 
Russian chain matches, cage matches. Guys are going to get hurt. Guys are going to get injured. It's, and it's just a part of it. And 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 in those days, you didn't call in sick and there wasn't no, can't make it to work tonight. You wrestled hurt. Many times I wrestled hurt because I had to because I'm a main event. I can't just bail out on the main event match, right? Right. And I know JJ really hurt his shoulder really bad in that War Games match. Separated his shoulder really bad. Yeah, I I don't think I get credit for that one. I I think that's one of the Road Warriors. Yes, right? yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't. Lex Lex likes to always say, you know, I, I injured one of his vertebrae in that cage match in Greensboro for the U.S. title, and 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 I'm like, but he he has since uh, forgiven me, and, and we you know we've become best friends now. But he says I forgive you. I'm like, thank you, but. Um, but yeah, injuries are a, a very real part of wrestling. Yeah. And I know a lot of people think like, okay, it's a cage match or they, you know, they know, but no, I mean, it's, it's going to be war. I mean, war games, it's going to be war. And man, so many of the guys aren't always says, you know, he, he got hurt, you know, whether it be serious or not serious, but you know, he would always be feeling it after the match. So those matches, especially back then with the blood and just the aggression, it was, it's just awesome to watch, but obviously if you're in it, it might be a different situation. Yeah. Well, and, and, and on that note, yeah. I mean, when you're in the midst of it, you're just doing your job. Right. I mean, right. And, and it's just a, again, a mindset. I mean, John, we were quite differently back then than now. I mean, in 1986, I had 454 matches. Whoa. So yeah, do the math on that. So, so it's a different era of wrestling. And so, it's more fun for me now to look back and do these interviews and discuss and talk about it. It's more meaningful now and going out and do the autograph signings and, and the, you know, the legends comic concept and to hear stories from you, the fan now uh, on, you know, how, how maybe my career or my, my persona impact you so many times. Hey, I got into weightlifting because you Nikita, Hey, I, I got into wrestling because of you. Hey, Nikita, I came, I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. Wrestling was my my outlet. And, and I, I just gravitated towards you. And, and so to hear those stories is so inspiring, so encouraging for me. That part of my goal now, John, is to is to give that back. You know, whether people are following me on social media or coming to to a church where I'm speaking or one of our conferences or our camps. My goal now is to, is to hopefully bring a inspirational, uh, say motivational, positive, encouraging message um, because of how encouraged I've been from the fans and, and, and hearing some of their stories, how I was a part of their childhood. Man, just go back and look just at that era, but especially you. It's like, man, that guy was made for pro wrestling. You know, if you just like look at somebody, they walk through a door, you're at a party or something, like, wow, who is this big, bald, looks like Russian monster? I mean, that was like kind of the time period back then where you were like really attracted to the guy with the it factor. It's like, okay, whoever this guy is, I want to watch him or see him. And you always had that it factor. And that was like the sign of that time where, you know, Sting and Warrior and Lex, they had it too. But, you, it was like a different feeling. It was like, man, this guy seems like he could do some damage. Like, he's a kind of a scary dude, you know? Well, in fact, I've had numerous guys say, dude, you scared me as a kid, man. Yeah. You intimidated me. You, you, and I've had guys, I've had people say, it's interesting, kind of to that point. 
I've had people, I've met people who know nothing about wrestling, nothing about wrestling. And yet when I meet them, they go, I, I don't, I don't know wrestling, but I know that name. I've heard of your name before. So I, I'm grateful. I chose that name, Nikita Koloff. Uh, and, and, and where, where now it, it gives me a platform to, like I say, to, you know, to make a difference in other people's lives. But, but it, it was a, you might say, uh, and this is not patting myself on the shoulder, please believe me. And, but uh, uh, a head turning, you know, and that look and that persona was walking into a room, as you said, was very head turning. Like, like you said, I don't know who this guy is, but he, he's somebody. I still yeah. today. I have people go, I can't figure out who you are, but I know you're somebody like, well, yeah. yeah. What, what's your name? You know? And, and so, and I'll say this too, real quick. I, I had a much shorter career than, than many of my peers. I mean, Lex Luger had a 15 year career. Ivan was there for three or four decades, flair, a lot of the guys. Right. So where I'm very humbled, John is my, my shortened career by choice I've been coined, if you will, the Barry Sanders of pro wrestling, right? Your football audience will identify with that. Yes. And, and but apparently, even though it was a very, a very much shorter career than many others, it's it's made an indelible mark uh, or it's left a lasting impression, uh, which is part, which was partly my goal. When I broke in, I told Ivan and Don. I'll be out of active in-ring wrestling by the time of 35 because I'm going to leave on top. I'm going to leave as a champion. Uh, I, I want to leave an indelible mark in people's minds. Uh, and, and so I I think I accomplished that. Very much like Barry Sanders. Basically, he was around for nine years. He, still, he was still in his prime when he retired. He's like, eh, I'm done. It's like, oh, don't you want to keep on breaking all these records? Like, nah, I'm done. You know, he left on top. No one ever remembers him, you know, on the downswing. It's kind of like your career. It's like they always remember that great, chunk of time where it's like man he was on top he's all won all those belts he's you know main eventing star case so pretty remarkable thank you sir thank you very much did you ever have a chance to go to the wwf i know we're talking obviously nwa your wcw all that but did you ever have a chance to go to wwf to my knowledge they never you know try to reach out to me unless in those days the old school uh voicemail i say if they left me a message on my voicemail i missed it somehow but um but uh, the only consideration when, when Darso left as Crusher Khrushchev, he let me know he's going up there to become demolition and, and, and invited me to be his partner. And, and I just, in my mind, I felt, I don't want to change care. I worked so hard on the character Nikita Koloff. Why, why would I want to go be somebody else now? Um, I, yeah, I could have probably went there and made 10 times the money, 50 times the money. I, I don't know. The money wasn't important as important to me um, and, and, or I didn't want to change characters. Um, and I, I met Vince in a, in a gym in Las Vegas one time, but we never talked about business. We just a cordial, a cordial, a cordial conversation in the gym in Las Vegas. And, and, and more important to me, John was the word loyalty. And, and even though I could have leveraged my success in the NWA, and as I said, either, either forced Crockett to pay me more or jump to the WWF. Um, more important to me is, was being loyal to Jim Crockett because he gave me my break. You just heard my story. He gave me my break. And so I always had a, 
uh, I was always felt very fortunate, very grateful and thankful that Jim gave me that opportunity. And so, and even, even though he sold it to Ted Turner and all that, I still felt a loyalty to the NWA and, and that brand of wrestling. And so I never really considered a jump. You would have been a perfect heel or perfect uh, foil for Hulk Hogan at that point too, especially with him being the true blue all American. To me, it was like, wow, that would have been an awesome dream match. Yeah. It's one of those what ifs. I mean, the magazine shout out to Bill Apter, who was instrumental in my career as well. All the magazine cover shots, headshots. I mean, everything that, that Bill Apter did for me to build my career. And, and of course, you know, WrestleMania, what if, what if Nikita Koloff had wrestled Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania? Um, I don't know that we would have broke the record of 93,000 in, in, uh, in, in Detroit, but, but, uh, you know, we, we probably would have drew and, and would have made a pretty sizable payday. But again, I've never really been one motivated by, by money. Now, as we hit the wind down, we head towards the finish here. I know you kind of said you no regrets about obviously not winning the NWA title and stuff, but do you have any other regrets in wrestling? Something you didn't get to do or you wanted to do, or is everything perfect the way your career worked out? It's a great question. I mean, you know, looking back uh, on on my career as a whole, uh, the short answer would be would be no. Um, not, not really. I mean, I, again, I just feel very grateful to have had the opportunity to have had that career and, and how it gave me a platform um, to what I call, John, my ultimate calling, which is, you know, essentially full-time ministry. And, and wrestling actually became like a training ground, a training center for me. Um, because when I look at my career, you know, I, I, I flew on airplanes, I rented cars, I I talked on microphones in front of cameras, uh, entertaining crowds for a living. Then I find myself at an altar, surrendering my life to the Lord. And I look at the last 28 years. I'm like, what have I done the last 28 years? Oh, I know. I've flown on airplanes, rented cars, stayed in hotels, talked on microphones in front of cameras. You know, not to entertain crowds, although I can I can do that, but to bring a more important message of, of the gospel, of the good news. And, and so... Thankful and grateful if I had to summarize my life up to this point, um, the word, the one word, if I distilled it down into one word, the word would be surreal. I mean, never in a million years would I have ever, as a kid, I didn't dream of being a wrestler, a pro wrestler, but I became one. And then I had the career we just highlighted and discussed. I didn't ever dream in a million years I'd be an evangelist, a minister, and and be doing camps with Lex Luger and, uh, but that's that's where God's called me to. And so my life, in summary, um, it, it's just been surreal. And all of my experiences, both good and bad, I, I wouldn't change them or erase them because they've made me into the man I am today. Do people like when you're doing the ministry and stuff, does anybody get, get surprised? Like say they're an old school fan, like, wait a second, his voice, like what, what I thought he was Russian. Does that, do people say that to you a lot? I feel like they still, would. Still last weekend, last weekend, uh, I, I was doing a TV show in Aiken, South Carolina recently. And, and the, the, it was an older gal and, and I walk in and introduce myself to her and she said something to me in Russian and I just start laughing. 
<laughs> like, I'm like, I don't have a clue what you said. She goes, wait, you're the Russian nightmare. How do you not know Russian? I, she goes, I, I thought I was going to build some points with you because I could speak a few words of Russian. I go, it's just the persona, you know, that 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 I pre-. so yeah. you would, you would one would think with the internet and all these interviews and everything else, you know, it might take thirty seconds to find out. One, I'm not really from Russia, so two, I don't speak Russian, you know. Um, but yeah, still to this day, man, it happens all the time. It's hilarious. I feel like when you like when you're a wrestling fan, especially a certain period of time, things just like are ingrained in your head, and you can't. You know, it's like the suspension of dis- uh, disbelief or whatever. It's like you, you're willing to believe it and you can't get that out of your head. So like, wait a second. I thought he was right. Wait, yeah, you can't not. separate that. Yeah, right? like, yeah like, exactly. Like, yeah, like like even I'll, I'll, I'll go to churches. They're like, like, like one guy said the other day, he goes, man, I'm going to have to listen really carefully to understand what the key to say. <laughs> say like, and they're like, oh, my gosh, they're shocked. And I just have fun with it. Like I have right. this little one minute icebreaker video clip that I open up with and, and it opens up with me doing an interview in character. And then at the end, Sting is actually interviewing me on a, a, a ministry show and it just sharing a little of my testimony, you know, talking like this. So, so I, I get to have some fun with, with, with it and, and say, aren't you impressed by how well I've mastered the English language? You know? So. <laughs> yeah. To me, that, that's amazing. Cause I could a picture in my head, like I thought he was Russian. What, what is going on here? Right. Yeah. Right. And speaking of Sting, you guys had a great feud, like you mentioned, being in Sting Squadron and eventually teaming with him at uh, Russell Ward 92 in that awesome fall Pro War Games match against Dangerous Alliance. But I can't believe Sting is still wrestling. Can you? Well, kudos to him. I said, Steve, just please be careful. I mean, he's 11 days younger than me. And, I, and I'm like, please be careful. You know, we we actually talked about, I interviewed him on, on my podcast as well, and, and we actually talked about, uh, you know, about his career and talked about, you know, his involvement with AEW and, and and what he's doing i mean kudos to him he's kept himself in great shape i, I try to keep myself in shape as well. i work out this morning uh before this interview and it's so i typically work out five days a week i've been doing that for 50 years now um and uh and so and, and he and i are really the best of friends and i, and I had a, a great opportunity um just like with lex and with ivan and several others really to kind of mentor them um, you know, he gave Sting gave his life to Lord in August of 1998, and so I've had the opportunity to really draw, get close to him and his family, and and help mentor him in, in that that spiritual journey of his. And so, and with him and Tully both being there in AEW, what a great opportunity uh, to to impact the lives of younger men. And so, uh, I'm I'm thankful that they're there. And but I've said to both of them, just be careful. Be careful, would you? Yep. So before we let you go, please tell us everywhere we can find Man Camp, your podcast, Man Up, and everything else you got going on. So really, John, it's a it's a one stop shop. I've tried to distill it down and make it really simple for 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 everybody. They just go to my website, go to www.koloff.net. K O L O F F F S and Frank F S and Frank www.koloff.net. If they'll go to that website, they can actually link to me on all social media. There's just click the link. Boom. You can follow me on social media right there and see my, uh, my positive encouraging post every day and, and, and a few surprises uh, along the way as well on social media. 
you can you can uh, link to the podcast. Please go subscribe and you know leave a leave a review. Listen to some of these interviews and leave a review. It's a new one every single week uh, on the podcast. Truth Radio Network. It actually airs on the radio network. Truth Radio Network. Uh, Stu Epperson, Winston Salem. Um, on weekends first, and then it goes up on the podcast platform. And then eventually um, going to have the, the TV show on Morningstar TV, as well as some other platforms. Uh, and so you can link to the podcast. You know, if you're a man 18 years or older out there, you have an interest in coming and spending a few days with Lex Luger and I, uh, you can, you can link right to the, to the uh, man camp website, learn more about man camp. Um, our next one will be uh, uh, April of, of 2022. We do one in the spring, one in the fall. And, and my books are there too. My Life Story, Nikita, the Tale of Ring and Redemption, um, Wrestling with Success, one's motivational, one's inspirational. All right there on the website, John. All right. Awesome stuff, Mr. Cole. Thank you so much for all time. Really appreciate it. Great stuff. Well, thank you for the time, for the interview, and to all of your your audience out there. God bless you, and uh, hopefully I'll get to see you somewhere, face-to-face, down the road, an autograph signing, a wrestling event, or, or maybe in a church service. Thanks, John. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at two-man power trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother. <laughs>